Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Hi, my name is Dr. Amanda White. I teach undergraduate auditing and assurance at the University of Technology, Sydney. Uh, I've been doing that for almost two decades and a website called Amanda Lab, where you can get lots of free resources to students, uh, those studying for their professional qualifications, learn audit so that they can become part of our great accounting profession. Nice. Okay, so why do you keep making all this free good stuff? Um, originally it was because I was lazy, right? My students would ask for the same information over and over and over again. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, if I'm explaining it over and over again, I'll just start recording it. And this was probably a, a, you know, close to a decade ago. And then I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll take these recordings and I'll put them on YouTube. My university actually said, put them on YouTube. Um, and they said, create your own channel. So it was sort of their fault. <laughs> and then my students said, can you make these links public so that we can share them with other students, friends of ours at other universities? And so it just sort of snowballed from there. And then I started getting emails of, wow, uh, these really helped me. This was a little bit more clear than my own instructor who's not an auditor, who's not an audit expert. So really now it's about leveraging off all of my expertise, my access to regulators, researchers, experts, graduates, all sorts of different people um, to bring as much of that knowledge to really raise the level of audit education for everybody, not just for my students. Is there, let's say that we have someone that's fairly new to internal audit. Is there a specific video you would recommend they watch? I think what we, where we want to start is, I guess, that sort of 101 of what is an audit and why do we have assurance? So if people go to my website, if you go to amandalovestoaudit.com and you click on the learning resources section, you'll see an audit study guide. And so I created that actually when I went on sabbatical one term and somebody else at my institution filled in for me and students said, Amanda, we're so confused. We're so lost. So I took all my videos and I made them into this website with a study guide where essentially if you're new to audit, you can just start at the beginning and you'll learn about what is assurance, what is an audit all about. And it's really important, I think, to have that big picture context. I don't know about you, but when I first started in audit back in 1997, which is a long time ago, you know, I just got given a whole lot of things to do and told do them. And it was not like, 
well, here's the reason why we do this. And here's where this fits into the context of everything else. And here's the control I'm testing or the assertion that we're gathering evidence on. It was just do this task. And I think when you, you're taught that way or you're introduced to audit that way, it makes it very confusing to know, to be able to do a good job, right? Yeah. To be able to say, oh, this could be an issue or, oh, this doesn't look right if you don't understand the context. So that's you know where everybody needs to start. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, on my website, you can just go straight into a lot more depth, depending on, you know, how far into the audit rabbit hole you want to go. S similar to that question, if there is the experienced auditor, like 15, 20 years, is there somewhere like a video you might recommend them or push them to? Um, I, th I think most of my content is geared towards students mm -hmm. um, and for really great content for experienced auditors. Certainly, you know, the thing where you want to be signed up to is the AICPA website, webcasts that they've been having. Um, the International Assurance Standards Board have been having a lot of webinars, the professional associations. Uh, you know, that's where I think when you're really experienced um, and you don't need to learn the basics, though sometimes I do have some people who said, look, I've, I've audited financial services my entire life. And now I'm doing inventory and I have no idea what yeah. I'm doing that, you know, it's certainly coming back to some of those basics and fundamentals can be really important. And, you know, once we become experts, we take for granted a lot of what we already know. Um, and so, you know, we might use terminology with our junior staff that they might not understand. Like they go, what's a tie out? I don't yeah. understand what a tie, what is footing something? What does extending yeah. something mean? So I think sometimes it's important to remember to go back to they know nothing yeah. um, and, and go back to those fundamentals as well. I remember when I was in external audit, I guess it was the first or the second engagement that I was on and the senior, I had to compare like a, a user access listing to a terminated user listing or something like that. And the senior just kept going, yeah, just bump those two up against each other. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, and it was like, I was young and I didn't want to ask the question. So I was just like Googling, okay, bump up Excel to each other, you know, like never could until like hours went by and finally I was like, Hey, you know, when you told me that a couple hours ago, did you explain what you know. actually mean? And he's like, Hey, you should use a V lookup. And I was like, Oh, well, I don't know what that is either. So let me look at, you know, so anyway, wow. that's good. Though. Yeah. V lookup has to be one of, well, now that there's X lookup, I'm, you know, but VLOOKUP is one of the, the auditor's best friend. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we've moved so far in terms of tools. My first audit job was somebody gave me an Excel spreadsheet printout on dot matrix paper. And to check that everything added up correctly, I had to use a calculator yeah. <laughs> and recheck. I think these were depreciation calculations by hand mm -hmm. because... They didn't understand how to use, I don't think back then we had like audit tools inside Excel where you could trace formula pathways, right. that type of thing. So you know, even in the last 10 years, there's just been such this leap forward. Um, even in academia, I said to one of my colleagues in, I think she was teaching journalism. She said, oh, Mandra, I have this list of uh, students and their marks from their tutors and I have the main list. And how do I quickly get them in there? Because I've just been transferring them by hand just typing across i said v lookup yeah like, what is what is v lookup and i just thought as an accountant 
oh my gosh, you don't understand VLOOKUP. But, yeah. you know, that's that's really important that we <laughs> teach those basic skills yeah. as well as, you know, getting into the more advanced build a pivot table. And sometimes, sometimes even my, some of my academic colleagues, I say, oh, we're going to build a pivot, pivot table. And they're like, what, what's a pivot table? How did you not live without pivot tables? Yeah. Uh, not to go on a VLOOKUP pivot table rant any more than we are, but what I'd do analytics trainings and things. I just, I tell people like, if you don't have the, you know, the fancy tool, just know how to do a VLOOKUP, like just spend 20 minutes looking that up real quick and 20 minutes on uh, pivot tables. And then, you know, some of the functions you'll kind of figure out as you go, you can kind of Google those and figure them out. But it's like, if you can do those two things, you can do like uh, so much more than you even realize. So um, I guess I am kind of glad we did go on that, <laughs> that rant. So I know that you, we've talked about resources to use audit resources to use to learn if you're like a student or you're out of you're even out of school and you're on year one year two year three or something but are there other resources or like where do you start teaching someone audit or maybe even how is the best way to teach someone audit um, for like the managers and the and the, the the folks that have to train their people what advice would you give them hmm. i think that's a, a really interesting question and the thing that we do most often is we teach people the way that we were taught. Mm -hmm. Or if that was terrible, we try and do the opposite, I guess. And, and so for, for me, when I'm talking with you know, my graduates who are new managers who say, look, well, now I have to be responsible for people. I think the key is always thinking back to, okay, if I didn't know anything, where would I start? Start with the context. And so this comes back to, I guess, good learning design, um, which you know, we don't teach our managers necessarily how to manage people, how to teach people. And it's thinking about, well, what do I want them to be able to do? How do I teach them that? And it's that old idea of, okay, you can read about it. You could explain it. You demonstrate one to them. You get them to do one by themselves and then come back to you and make sure that it's okay. And this is where the review process is really critical. I think mm -hmm. a lot of times we skip over the, uh, the oh, review process is just something that needs to get done, right? I just have to work through the 150 work papers in the files that the partner can click a button and say that it's done. Right. But that review process is really important to the training of junior auditors. That's really critical. And so if you're thinking, oh, I'm feeling a bit unsure about this, this is where you know, mentoring really comes into play. And that mentoring could be someone from within your firm. It could be within your you know, local society CPA network. So what I really recommend here is leveraging off your professional association, your CPA, your internal audit profession. Um, and if you think, oh, look, there's no one in my area or I'm, I'm not sure, then online is a really great place to go because what we've discovered you know, with COVID and probably even pre-COVID is that social media, LinkedIn, you know, groups, et cetera, really help us feel like we're connected especially you know, when we get, get, don't get to see our colleagues, you're at a client, you think, oh, I've got a question. Um, and so finding that group can be really, really important. Now, I'm going to put in a plug here. Um, so I'm working on a new product or a new offering called Autotopia, which is aimed at internal auditors. So if you're an internal auditor, um, Autotopia has templates, um, and we're trying to build a community of practice so that you can feel connected, you can get advice. Uh, I think one of their upcoming webinars is like, okay, I'm the lead auditor, now what? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, what are all of those responsibilities that you 
I guess in academia, we call it a hidden curriculum. Uh, that means things, things that people already know that they think you should know, but they don't talk about. Yeah. So, you know, part of that is managing relationships. It's managing your team. And I think that, you know, the other thing that's become even more apparent with remote learning, remote auditing, remote work is also looking after, you know, the mental health and well-being of our people. So it's not just talking to them about work. It's talking to them and getting to know them about what's happening in their lives, what's happening in their families. All of the research tells us that teams that work well together know each other. Mm -hmm. They have an understanding of, I can trust this person. If like my kid is homesick today, if he barges into a meeting, they're not going to be, that's totally unprofessional. Or they'll say, oh, well, we know you have this deadline. We know he's unwell you know, is there some way we can get somebody to help you? Um, so it's reaching out for assistance when you need it, but also, you know, really keeping an eye on what's happening with your people, because without the people doing audit, you know, they're our biggest resource. It's not the tools, it's not the technology, it's not the work papers, it's the human capital in audit that's most important. It's the humans that make judgments. So we need to make sure that we're supporting all of those people in you know all facets of their lives so that they can be great auditors yeah there's well there's a, a couple things a lot of things but i forgot because you, you would you made one good point and i was like i don't even want to talk about the other thing i was going to talk about um one being though the relationship with the team that is so true i know like the teams that i'm close with uh if my wife and i have a conflict like we work in the same kind of office um and like today uh the school's closed so we had the kid and we're trying to figure things out and i'm just like yeah, it's fine. Just send them in. Like, it's not going to matter. Even if we're in the middle of something, you know, just, and he barges in, nobody cares. You know, they almost look forward to it. Um, and similarly, my like, students do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The chat blows up when my kids come in the room. So. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody understands that. Um, and the other piece was you're talking about human beings applying judgment and being like in analytics and tech, there's always these headlines about, artificial intelligence is going to take over our job um, and all those, you know, scary kind of headlines. And so I looked up, I was writing a blog post about it and I looked up intelligence, just, okay, what does that even mean intelligence? And just looked at synonyms. And one of the synonyms was judgment. And I just thought, okay, so like artificial judgment, how that's so, so, so far down the road, like artificial judgment. So the judgment that we use as humans, to do our audit work, um, you know, this is my little rant. It's it's not going to happen anytime soon with AI taking over the judgment piece anyway. Um, totally agree. Totally agree. There's just so much in it. I was part of a project in the 90s at Coopers and Libram, which is now PricewaterhouseCoopers, where we tried to build computer models of partner judgment. And hmm. it was just, it ended up being too complicated that with the tools that we had in the 90s, it was just not doable. And people say, well, what about machine learning now? But you know, for those people who are in ML, they know that so much data is needed to train a model. And data is so client specific, it's so context specific that you know, the question is raised, if you wanna build an ML model, you wanna build some sort of you know, judgment model for a specific client, what's the investment? You know, the accountant in me says, What's, what is going to be the payback period? And of course, in Australia, we have a five-year rotation period. So if we're not getting our money back, 
or we're making gains mm -hmm. using these advanced, you know, analytics and AI judgment tools in that five years, then is it worth spending the money sure. as well? So yeah. cause, just because it's doable and, you know, certain things like your know, tax rulings, where there is a more finite, I guess, range of judgments, that might be um, a better place. But, you know, they talk about uh, human perceptions as well. So they asked a whole lot of people, I can't remember what university it was, they did a study where they asked people about whether they would prefer to see a real live doctor or put their symptoms into AI, even if the AI was known to be more accurate in predicting diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And they said, look, we'd, we'd rather have a real person because we believe our situation, my medical needs are unique and specific. And when we always talk about audit, you know, we say, look, it is so specific to the client, to the industry, to the current economic conditions that, you know, I think that there's a big risk of going too far down the analytics model. And then people say, well, look, you know, if analytics become so good, we'll just test everything. And then I think if I'm an audit partner and I test everything, do I have to give more than reasonable assurance? Does that then become a guarantee if I test every single transaction because right. AI has gone so far? And do I even want to do that? Like, what is the legal risk of well, doing that moving forward? That's what I helped build some of the um, framework for a public accounting firm and using socks or using analytics and in, in socks and external audit. And that was, those were the questions we got too. Like we would talk to the seniors or the people executing and they're like, if you test all 10,000 and you come up with 50, we're going to have to explain 50 away. Like we could just take a sample, probably not hit anything and it's going to be okay. Um, so I, I saw the similar pushback in external internal. I think it makes a lot more sense to be able to do that. Um, cause it's not, you know, as big, a, uh, an issue like you were talking about, but definitely on the, the SOC side, the external audit financial statement side, it, it, there's kind of tough to get some good solid analytics use cases. Although I know there are, um, I know there are some, especially with journal entry testing and the fraud pieces and stuff like that, but okay. To, to, um, yeah, that comes, that comes down to like the purpose of audit, you know? is the purpose to detect fraud. There's that big push from the Bryden report in the UK, which says, well, actually the public is thinking that fraud detection is more of what we do. Maybe it should be the centerpiece of what we do. And then I'm like, this is a whole different engagement. Yeah. And that's a whole different piece Yeah, it, <laughs> compared to what we do now. And I, sometimes I'll tell people, they're like, Hey, what do you do? And I'll, you know, sometimes I'll say audit analytics, or I'll just say analytics and, depending on the look of their face, which most of the time is just like, uh, sure. <laughs> I go, I find fraud and they go, Oh, okay. That's cool. Even though that's like a sliver of what it is, you know, like it's like, it's hardly what I do, but it is also kind of what I do. Um, usually there's like, those memes of the expectation gap, like what I think I do, oh, what yeah, my yeah, boss yeah. thinks I do, what my parents think I do. That reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My dad still thinks I do stuff with computers. That's what he tells people. What's turn up to <laughs> stuff with computers. Perfect. Um, My parents were disappointed I wasn't a um, tax specialist because they wanted free advice. Well, that's the other thing. I know I'm qualified as an accountant, but yeah. no, I'm not a tax specialist and I can't provide you with advice. <laughs>
Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. When I was in external and I was the IT audit person, the CPAs, they would come to me when they're you know, their screen, they got a blue screen or their email wasn't working or something. And they're like, can you fix this? You're in IT. And I was like, are you going to do my taxes? You're in, you know, you're a CPA. And they're like, well, I don't do taxes. I don't know tax. And I was like, I'm not the help desk. I don't know how to fix this. I can Google it as easily as you can. But. Exactly. Have you tried turning it off and turning it on again? Right. Exactly. That was basically it. That was basically it. And then they go, oh, that was great. You're brilliant. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'll take it where I can get it. Um, I think that's one of the, the things my uh, parents and my in-laws call the most about. I have a computer problem. Oh, uh, well, now my mom calls me about Excel stuff all the time because she knows I do analytics and she'll call about doing something in Excel and she's explaining it to me and she's like, okay, I'm in cell B2 and if I hit enter and, and it goes down, I'm like, there's, I have no idea. I don't, do you know how hard it is to imagine what you're talking about right now? I was like, just share your screen with me or FaceTime it or something. And then I'll be like, mom, you got to put the equals sign in first. And she's like, oh, okay, perfect. So, uh, It's like setting up your first family discussion on Zoom. Uh-huh. You got to download the app. No, 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 no. Now you got to sign, no, sign in. Okay, yep. now can you look for the button that has the little camera with the little arrow next to it, the little up arrow? <laughs> yeah, like bit of, <laughs> okay, no, 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 we can't hear you. You're on mute. Yeah. Given your, just your overall experience in the audit profession and then your experience in like higher education and teaching audit, what is it maybe a little bit from the outside looking in from that, that perspective of, of being in higher ed and being a teacher, what is it that frustrates you about the audit profession right now? I think what's frustrating me is, you know, it's hiring policies, right? We have so many great students studying accounting is great diversity people from different backgrounds and we know that diverse groups make better judgments because they bring different perspectives um and i think the thing that we see here in australia is that all of our graduate programs our entry programs are open to citizens and people who hold a residency visa but not necessarily students who study from overseas Mm -hmm. and i think that you know if you're auditing multinational companies it makes sense to have multinational audit yeah. teams to understand all the different cultural perspectives from, you know, these multinational organizations. So my biggest rant is, you know, that they should consider, you know, the hiring of potentially, you know, non-resident or non-citizen interns, graduates to really broaden that. And I think that that enriches the entire team. Um, the other thing that I think that frustrates me is that the profession asks us in higher education to do more and more and more. Like, okay, well, graduates need to come out with these technical skills, plus these professional skills, plus excellent skills in data analytics, plus excellent skills in something else. And so, you know, for us, we only have a finite number of weeks to teach students. And so I think, okay, what do I cut out 
to be able to give them. Like I can't teach them really intensive data analytic skills in one week, mm-hmm. right? It's something where they need to be working on that week after week after week. And so for us, it feels like the curriculum is expanding because the profession, it costs them nothing to say, we want students with these right. particular attributes, but for us, we're sort of constrained by resources. And so for students, they're thinking, okay, well, if this is what the employers want, and this is what my university is providing, then how do I fill that gap? Um, and you know, so I'm trying to provide my students with advice on, okay, well, if you want to get into data analytics, where is the best place to start? You know, to give them some guidance on here is where you would start with a free or a low cost online data analytics course so that you can create that, you know, skill component on your LinkedIn. So train as the analytics person, if you're a student and you're thinking, okay, I want to get into analytics uh, just so I can have that taste so I can understand what it's about, where would you start? I'm glad you asked because I was going to tell you even if you didn't ask. (laughs) (laughs) There is a course on Udemy, um, a machine learning course that I see a lot of analytics people rave about as being like the best, Um, like people who are legitimate data scientists um, and they say this is the best course. And usually all those courses on there go on sale for, you know, like 90% off or something like that. So even if you don't see it at that, at that price, it'll be at some point, it'll be 12 bucks. Keep your eye out. Yeah. yeah. Check it tomorrow. <laughs> it'll be $12 or something. Um, actually I bought it for $11 and I have time marked in, in the beginning of March to sit down and do it just so I can tell people, you know, from my own perspective, like, yeah, okay, I actually took it. I'm not just taking these people's recommend, you know, I'm not passing on a recommendation on something I have no experience with, but the people who have recommended it are people that I trust um, when they say that is the best analytics training. So um, I'll put a link in the show notes. So if your students do come to you and say, or, you, you know, whatever, you just tell them this is, you know, take this. It's, it's a lot. Like it's, I know there's at least 42 hours of just video. Um, which is why I blocked off an entire week to do it. Um, but even then, if you only make it halfway through, you can at least get the idea of, okay, I like this. I'm going to continue to do it. Or I don't like this and just, you know, move on. You don't have to like analytics, you know? Um, so it's a good weed out class. Hey, look, I made a higher ed joke. It's a good weed out class to um, see if you actually want to do analytics. And then since I'm on it, there's another one for security folks. So I don't know if security, like cybersecurity's started to become something that. Um, I think we're talking about it a little bit, but I think North America seems to be a little bit further ahead okay. in discussions around cybersecurity risks from an internal and external audit perspective. Okay. The I've, I've, I've asked this question to Pedro Serrano when he was on the show. He's a CISO at the Grand River Dam Authority. And he said, he kind of gave me the, the idea for doing this weed out test. And I said, well, what's, what is it for security? And he says the CompTIA Security Plus certification. He said, don't take the certification like immediately. I think it's like a thousand bucks, maybe more to take it. But he's like, you know, just get some of the materials and go through them. And if you, if it's interesting to you, keep going. If not, then maybe security is not for you and you can, you know, not waste your time with it or, you know, spend a bunch of money on a certification that you have no interest in using. So, um, yeah. I think it's about also finding, you know, for students and those people who are recent graduates, you know, the market is tight to find jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit better in accounting and finance than it is in some other areas. 
uh, for commerce or for business or for yeah. econ grads. Um, accounting seems to be sort of holding steady, but you know they're wanting to upskill. They're wanting to be you know probably a bit more qualified than the minimum recommendation, because people are saying, oh look, you know we advertised a entry level accountant job and they would have. 50 people applying who already were professionally qualified, had a few years of experience. So, you know, for students, this is a really tough time to be graduating, but the more that they can get certified or at least get that taste yeah. of analytics of certain um, software programs. So in Australia here, Xero uh, is probably the biggest um, cloud-based accounting software used by small to medium-sized practices. So a lot of students are doing free zero certifications through zero to say, hey, yeah, you're looking for a bookkeeper or you're looking for someone entry-level or you already have experience, you can save on that training. So I think students are starting to be really savvy. It, now, it used to be walkout and graduates would have two or three or four job offers. Now they're all working really, really hard for just the one. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, I think they're a little bit less picky than they were before. So five years ago, yeah. students were like, oh, this is not the perfect job. So I will take six months off and wait for something. And now my recommendation is just, you know, if you can get a job, take it, get it yeah. learn, you know, get as much experience in that role before you look, you know, while you're looking for something else. So I was talking to the university of California, San Diego, they're, accounting information systems class. And um, afterwards, you know, I was just like, hey, I know people in at, at EY that's out there. If you want to go work there, let me know. I can. So anyway, this guy hit me up and he said, you know, I've got one semester left. I guess it's next semester. Maybe it's this semester. Um, and his question was, what advice, you know, would I give him? I think the idea of like upskilling before you can to some degree, at least to be able to speak to it is really good. Is there anything else that I can tell him from your experience in dealing with this, you know, every semester is always somebody's last semester with you. So you've done it like a thousand times. Is there anything that you could recommend that I'd tell him? Yeah. So I speak with a lot of graduate recruitment agents for mm -hmm. the big four and for second tier and smaller firms. And, you know, the first step for most of them past the application is a video interview mm -hmm. where you'll have to do like a zoom type thing, but it, there won't be someone real on the other end. You'll get a question It'll flash up on the screen. You have 30 seconds to think about it. And then you have to record your answer. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people will do that in their pajamas. They won't think about what's in their background. They won't think about their lighting, how they sound, how many ums and ahs. Are they looking right at their camera or are they looking at themselves on the screen? So I think the video interview is one of those crucial cutting points where they are going to get their first impression of you after the algorithm has worked through an application. Yeah. And so nailing that interview is really, really critical. Of course, on my YouTube channel, there are some videos that, that give you advice on how to prepare yourself, how to look at the camera, how to set up your lighting, how to dress even. As much as you know, we like to say that accounting is quite progressive, it's still a relatively conservative yeah. uh, profession. And then once it gets to the point, if you get past that and it's the interview, it's to just be honest, to be yourself, because it is too hard to fake being someone else for the interview and then have to continue being that someone yeah. else in the job. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you just be yourself. And if, if they don't appreciate that who you are and the diversity that you bring, then that's not the place where you want to yeah. go.
Perfect. I will pass that along then. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Is there anything that you want to promote? I know you have the channel that you've talked about. Is there anything else that you would like to to leave the listeners with that they could check out um, white papers, webinars, anything like that, that you have coming out? Yeah, absolutely. So I've talked about the Amanda loves to audit YouTube channel. I'm happy for people to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. So on Instagram, you get to see a lot of my life. So I don't know if anyone's interested in that, but the one thing I want to encourage everyone who's listening or watching to do is to give back to your profession. The profession is only as great as us and what we do to give back. So people like Trent who are sharing people's experiences, sharing stories, because storytelling is so important. So that could be by mentoring somebody in your organization, asking for mentoring, sharing your insights, your experiences on LinkedIn. Um, if you're interested in coming onto my channel and sharing some of you know what you've been doing uh, or your career pathway with my students, that would be fantastic. And um, for internal auditors, of course, I just want to remind everybody that the Auditopia community it's just relatively new, but again, it's one of these places where internal auditors are starting to gather to share their resources so that we're not reinventing the wheel. We're leveraging off our community and that community is strong. You know, the accounting profession is a profession of public service. It's a profession of helping the public and organizations do good. So uh, I just encourage everybody to continue doing that because I know we're all doing that really well right now in the, the pandemic and we want to see that continue once we're all vaccinated and social distancing and mask wearing and all of that, um, you know, starts to go away, just keep up that sense of community and that sense of belonging. Good stuff. I very much appreciate your opinion. There was answer, you know, there's kind of common questions that I ask and your perspective was different than most of the guests on. And so to hear that was, was fantastic. We'll definitely link to Amanda loves to audit.com and the Auditopia resources. I know I've seen those, um, scrolling through, through, um, LinkedIn, I've started to see those more and, and have checked it out and they're doing a really good job there. So we'll definitely link that and try to get some, some more folks over there. So, but Amanda, thank you very much for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the audit podcast, whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.